That's Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armour of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your living word, we acknowledge that it is living and it is breathing and it is your word. Father, we confess the topic which we are about to bring this morning is maybe one that may make us feel uncomfortable. It may be one, O oh Lord, which we may not have heard preached in a while, but Lord, it is in your word and it is written to your church. So we must be mindful and take it seriously. Father, help the preaching of thy word, I pray. Oh, Lord, that you would get me out of the way and that, Lord Jesus, you would be magnified. Christ, that you would be glorified and your saints shall be edified through the preaching of thy word. And, Father, if there be any here, if there be any here who are in bondage, if there be any here, O oh Lord, who are still under the, the bondage of the enemy, may what is being brought today release them from them chains. May you set the captive free, O oh Lord, and may your people see the glories of your salvation and the peace that we have in you. Lord, help us, we ask. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want to very briefly talk about spiritual warfare. Now, upon hearing that, I'm absolutely positive it may make some of you feel very uneasy of hearing that sort of language. It isn't something we typically hear preached on in the day we live. We know about the spiritual armour that God has prepared for every believer. And we do in fact quote it often to ourselves and to others. I'm sure we have all read this passage stating we have a breastplate of righteousness and a helmet of salvation. We've heard in sermons that we have the shield of faith by which we are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. But in reality, I often feel they are just passages we quote rather than tools to be used in spiritual warfare in our day. We hear often the wiles and the schemes of the devil. But in reality, we as Christians know do we know that we are do we know what we're talking about or is it just a vague term we have when we are having a bad day 
How often do we say in conversations to one another, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this age. It's everyday Christian language. And brethren, I'm also very aware that there has been much abuses in our day regarding this particular thing. It has become an unhealthy fascination in particular groups of professing Christians. And it is all they focus on. And I say that that is just as dangerous as ignoring this altogether. So we must be careful how we deal with this topic. We must be a people of balance as we have an enemy of extremes. So we must not be led by our emotions, we must not be led by our feelings, but we must be led by the living and breathing word of God. But before I go any further, brethren, I just want to say this. Spiritual warfare is very real. The Apostle Paul here writing to the church at Ephesus is writing for believers to stand firm in the power of God of God. I'm sure if we are Bible readers, we will know about the most blessed truths that the Apostle Paul has told these believers in the previous chapter. They are chosen by God, adopted and accepted in the Beloved, sealed by the Holy Spirit, and he is the guarantee of our inheritance. He's talking to Christians. It's what we looked at last Lord's Day evening. But finally, before he finishes, he writes in this epistle, he says, Look here, my brethren, you must stand firm in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's warning them, saying, it's because these things are true of you, because you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, because you are an adopted son and daughter in the family of God, the devil whom you once walked according to the power of the air, according to the prince of the power of the air, he is now going to come with you with all his ammunition and try and devour you and destroy you. Therefore... When this happens, you must put on this armour so that you may be able to stand in the evil day when he comes. So this silly notion that when we become Christians, our lives will be perfect and we won't experience any problem is absolute nonsense. Paul is saying because you are now Christ, because these things are true of you, you are going to experience warfare with the unseen realm. And at times, brethren, it's going to be fiery. And we, in the 21st century, must just be as ready as these Christians in the 1st century. These principalities and powers are just as active today as they were back then. The problem today, brethren, the problem today is I believe that this battle is not taken seriously. Yes, we have seen the craziness out there where particular sects of the church are obsessed with spiritual warfare. And if they don't get a good parking place at Tesco's, then they say they're under demonic oppression. I'm sure and trust we are with people here who know that's nonsense. But even with all the abuses out there, 
I really do think that we have neglected and even at times forgotten that we are in a spiritual fight. What do I mean by that, you may say? Problems arise within the church and our own daily lives. And we look at these things as completely naturalistically, instead of at times recognising that we are fighting against real, dark and evil forces. And they, my friends, have declared war on you and I this morning. Do you know that? Brethren, do you know that? That the devil and his demons have declared war on you if you be in Christ. You may be saying, where does it say that in scripture? Revelation 12. Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But the woman was given two wings of the great eagle that she may fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a times, times and a half time from the presence of the serpent. So the serpent spewed water out of his mouth like a flood after the woman that he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. And then it says this, And the dragon was enraged with the woman, and he meant to make war with the rest of his offspring. So who? The world? No. Who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. No, I'm not going to get into the interpretation of who the woman is. I'm not here to get into that debate. But I just ask you, who are the people who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ? That is you and I here this morning. This dragon, this great enemy has declared war on you and I this morning. He hates you and he wants to destroy you. Brethren, a few hundred years ago, this wasn't a controversial topic. It was just part of being a Christian. Saints of old, especially the Reformers and the Puritans, knew and spoke much, much on this battle. Hymns were written, entire songs were written on this. We've just sang that song from Martin Luther. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work as woe. His craft and his power are great and he's armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. For, the, for through the world this, the devil's filled. They should threaten to undo us. You see... These people knew of this fight and they weren't ashamed to say that we're in a fight. John Bunyan, in his allegory of the Christian's life, the Pilgrim's Progress, wrote entire sections on this fight. He was very aware that we as Christians are in a battle with these principalities and powers. Here's just a snippet from his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure you've all read it. Apollyon, that's the replicates the devil. Apollyon broke out into a furious rage saying, I am the enemy of this prince. I hate his person, his laws and his people. He spit the words if they left a bad taste in his mouth. I have come out here to purposely oppose you. Christian did not back away. He said, Apollyon, be careful of what you are doing for I am on the king's highway of holiness. So watch yourself. Apollyon defiantly straddled the entire width of the way of blocking Christian's way. He said, I am not afraid of this. The fend hissed. 
Prepare to die, for I swear by my eternal den that you will go no further, for you here, for here I will spill your soul. And without warning, he hurled flaming darts at Christian's breast. But Christian lifted up his shield and his hand and deflected it to avoided the danger. I know from reading John Bunyan's life that he was writing this from his own experience. My question today, brethren, as I said, in the 21st century, do we realise that we, yes, we today, are in the same battle? I guarantee you, if you are in Christ this morning, you will have had encounters with these principalities and powers. My fear, my fear is in the day that we live, we do not recognise that these things are happening or actually from the enemy Therefore, unable to apply the armour of God which the Lord has prepared for us. If I had time, I would be here for many weeks going through each piece of this spiritual armour. However, because I am only with you for a short time and every message that I bring must only be its own message, we will only be briefly looking at, looking at this great topic. I want this today to be a springboard for you as individuals to delve deeper into this study so you may arm yourself in this Christian walk to put on the whole armour of God which he has prepared for you. This morning we will only be looking at the schemes and the wiles of the enemy. But before I get to my first point, I just want to make one thing absolutely clear. We, my brethren, are not fighting a losing battle. We are not fighting a losing battle. The Lord Jesus Christ has defeated Satan at Calvary. As we read, as we read in Colossians, he has disarmed principalities and powers and he has made a public spectacle of them. The battle that we now face as pilgrims on this earth, we fight in the power of his strength. So we must be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. So let us not think that I'm talking of the devil as some equal power. Absolutely not. As I said in my prayer, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, including Satan and his demons. The devil has no power over us other than what God has what God allows him. God is sovereign even over the wiles of the devil. Let us not forget about that as we move on to our first point, which leads me to my first point. If you're taking notes, my first heading reads, principalities and powers. Principalities and powers. Some of you may be saying, Nick, why don't you just move straight on to the spiritual armour so we can fight and protect ourselves against the enemy? If you only have one sermon on this, why not use it on the armour? You may be saying, isn't doing an entire sermon on the enemy and his wiles giving him too much credit? I will just say this to you very quickly, brethren. What great army, before going into battle doesn't first consider the tactics of the enemy who he is facing. 
Some of you who may be into history, the reason why the German forces in the early parts of the war were so successful was a tactic called Blitzkrieg. I don't need to go into what that was, but the other forces had no idea what was happening and they were totally unprepared for that particular tactic, suffering much damage as being ignorant from the enemy's tactics. And this is why we as Christians must know who we are fighting and understand something of his wiles that he will use against us. The reason I believe that many Christians are in trouble in our days, they do not know that they are under attack and therefore are hit with spiritual depression. So who is our enemy? I'm sure you may be saying, well, this is obvious, but let us for a moment consider this. We read in, verse, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. When we talk about spiritual warfare, we often think we are only fighting the devil that fallen angel who fell in the angelic realm. We say things like, yes, the devil is attacking us. But what we must realize is the devil is not omnipresent. He is a created being. He isn't everywhere at once, but he does have a multitude of followers, his demons who fell with him. So the devil, who has his own ranks, And they are the demons, the evil spirits. It isn't just himself. We're told from Revelation 12 he brought a third of the angelic race down with him. And these are these other principalities and powers. Your translation may say cosmic powers. These are the followers of Satan and they do his bidding. Some of you may have thought, well, if the devil is not omnipresent, how can he affect so many people at once? Well, it's these other principalities and powers. They act on his behalf. The next thing we must realize about the devil and his demons is they are not to be underestimated. They are not to be underestimated. There is nothing more foolish than Christians who laugh at the devil and underestimate him. The Bible has much to say about the devil. And as I have stated, yes, he has been defeated at the cross. But the Bible nowhere gives us room to underestimate him. Brethren, he actually goes to great lengths to tell us of his power. Here are just a few names that the devil is given from scripture. The prince of the power of the air. He is the lowercase god of this world. He is the adversary. He is that great dragon. And famously the accuser of the brethren. And from the lips of our blessed Lord. This is our Lord Jesus speaking. The strong man armed. The archangel Michael didn't even bring a reveling accusation against him. But said the Lord rebuke you. Even the angels who are in the presence of the thrice holy God. Recognize The devil's power. Again, I'm not stood in this pulpit giving the devil credit. I am just bringing you what the scriptures tell us about our enemy and whom Paul is exhorting us to fight against. As we cannot fight these powers in our own strength. They are certainly not easy pickings. 
Brethren, these forces are shrewd. They are manipulative. They are dark and they hate you and the one to whose image you are made. You may flatter yourself. You may say, well, I've been doing okay this far. Be careful, brethren. Be careful. King David, who was a man after God's own heart, after ending up falling into murder and adultery, he then was forgiven. And then what did the devil do then? He stood up against him, puffed him up with pride, and he fell again. That's King David, a man after God's own heart. What about the Apostle Peter, the one to whom our Lord called rock? Luke 22 tells us that Jesus said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But then listen to confident Peter. But he said, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Isn't that all? Lord, we're ready to go with you to death. And Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster shall not crow this day before you will deny me three times that you know me. If the Apostle Peter, who was a converted man at this point, he declared that great truth that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. He was a saved man at this time. If Peter, who even the Lord himself warned that he would fall, still fell into it and denied him with oaths and curses, what makes you and I think we can stand on our own? So if there's anyone saying here, oh, principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, what have they got to do with me in 2023? I say with Martin Lloyd-Jones, with him today, that this has this much to do with you. That the majority of your Christian life and the unhappiness that you have felt in it has been down to these principalities and powers and you have just not recognised it. We say we don't want to be like those crazy people over there but my friends we can just be as guilty of neglecting this and that is just as dangerous every single day we are called to do battle this isn't a film brethren i'm not bringing you a fantasy story if we are christians today we are to do battle against these principalities and powers and i am saying this to you this morning let us not be guilty of underestimating these powers you don't need to wear armour if we are skipping down the yellow brick road. Soldiers wear armour. Charles Wesley put it, put it perfectly in his hymn. Soldiers arise and put your armour on. Strong in the strength which God supplies through his eternal son. Stand then against your foe in close firm array. Legions of wily fens oppose you throughout the evil day. These, these men knew what this battle was, brethren. They knew that they were under attack day in and day out. This battle is going to be fierce at times. I've had to emphasize this before I go any further. Because this battle, if we do not walk in the power of the Lord, we shall lose. But greater is he living on us than him that is in the world. We are, brethren, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Which leads me to my next point. So what are the devil's wiles? What are the devil's wiles? So now we have briefly looked at who our enemy is and who we are fighting. We must now consider his tactics. 
Brethren, they are truly endless and we could go into it for days. But I'm not going to consider even half of what his wiles are. The devil can bring illnesses. Remember the, the woman in Luke 13. Jesus said this woman was bound by Satan. That's what our Lord said, being bound by Satan. And there are many more. But for this short time I have left with you, I want us to consider the enemy's main tactic he uses against Christians, which is the battle for our minds. He comes to attack us and destroy our minds. He does that because what goes in through here will have an impact in the rest of who we are. My brethren, the devil wants to paralyze you. He wants to make you completely miserable in your Christian life. He cannot take our salvation, praise be to God, but he can make you as miserable as he can. Yet the devil, when he, sorry, I, I forgive me. He comes with subtle suggestions and doubts and he is famously called the accuser of the brethren. He comes accusing us, accusing us before God and our own consciences and trying to make us absolutely useless for the cause of Christ. So let us look at the first one of his wiles. My first one is, that I've got noted down here, is doubts. Doubts. The enemy will come along to you and put in poison in your rear a doubts about God, doubts about his word, and doubts even to whether you are a Christian. He will come subtly, brethren. It isn't just bang. He comes subtly and he'll just suggest some things to you. Some of the greatest saints that have ever lived have been plagued with doubt, even on their deathbed. Now, I must distinguish the temptation to doubt and doubt it's both. I have spoken to people who we would tip our hats at and say they never have a problem in their Christian life. But when I have spoken to them about this particular topic, they have confessed doubts that they have had, even about whether this is all even real. Brethren, that is, I've, had, I've heard more, more than a handful of people who have said that to me. And that is the operation of the devil. I'll just give you another example. Heidi, Ryan, our pastor's um, daughter, she got saved. And just before her baptism, she was doubting whether she should be getting baptized, doubting whether she was a Christian. God has just soundly saved this wonderful girl. And now she's doubting. That, my friend, is the operation of the devil. Or if you're going through a particular fight with sin or temptation, the devil will come and just suggest, he'll say, that's not really a bad sin. That's just a, a little sin. Or just do that sin one last time. Have your last go of sin-filled pleasure, then give it up. And guess what happens? You listen to the devil and guess what it comes to? The tempter then becomes your accuser. And how often... Are we, uh, how often are we assailed with that as Christians? That is always the operation of the devil. The slithering serpent whispering poison is our ears, just as he did with Eve. Just take one bite. You won't surely die. 
God's being too strict with you. Just take one bite and you'll be liberated. There's no difference to that than what we face on a daily basis. If there is one thing that the devil lacks, it's originality. He comes with the same tactics. The same tactics from Genesis all the way through to today. He also tried the same thing with our Lord. He tried to bring doubts against our blessed Lord. He came and said, if you are the Son of God. The arrogance of the devil that he would approach the second person of the blessed trinity and say, if you are the Son of God, he knew who he was. What makes, him th- what makes us think he's not going to come to you and put doubts in your minds, those to whom God has saved? We must be ready to stand firm on the promises of God and take no notice of these doubts that he throws us. We must stand strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And friends, he will come with you also with vain regrets. Oh, how this debilitates the saints of God. Vain regrets. Reminds us of past failures and how we've wasted a particular time in our Christian life. Or how we could have been better here or we could have done that in that situation. And he brings it all back to the forefront of our mind and makes us live in complete misery. Brethren, I say that that is completely unnecessary. Unnecessary. Let the dead bury the dead. If you're here today and you are plagued with past failures and things you wish you could have done living in the past, could you imagine the Apostle Paul when he's been given a ministry and he says, I can't, I can't, I failed them, I, I killed all those Christians, alas, alas, I can't do it. Could you imagine? We wouldn't have three quarters of the New Testament. We wouldn't have the, the, the multitudes that were saved through his ministry. So let the Lord restore the day. Let him restore the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. Vain regrets are completely unnecessary. We, heal, we have a God who heals the backslider. We have the God who returns and he heals the prodigal son. Living in the past, we must forget those things that are behind and press on towards the goal in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Our next while is this. Evil or blasphemous thoughts. This one is related to doubts. But if he cannot paralyze you with doubts and vain regrets... He will come and inject blasphemous and intrusive blasphemies into your very head. Blasphemies about God. Blasphemies about his person. Friends, I want to say this to any of you here. If there is anybody here who is troubled with blasphemous or evil thoughts, do not let that make you come to the conclusion that you're not a Christian. That is what the devil would have you believe. He would have you say these thoughts and vile imaginations come from you. How can you be a born again man if you are filled with such blasphemies? I can tell you, I can tell you now that they are not your thoughts, brethren. They are the fiery darts of the wicked one. Let me comfort you if you are plagued with blasphemous thoughts with one from a testimony of one of the greatest Christians that I believe has ever lived, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. This is a sermon from Spurgeon. He said, I quote, He labours also to inject blasphemous thoughts and then tells us they are ours. 
He has sometimes poured in the most vehement torrents of blasphemy and evil imaginations into our hearts, which we ignorantly thought must be our own, yet not one of them perhaps belongs to us. And then he gives personal testimony. I remember I had once been alone musing on God when a sudden it seemed as if the floodgates of hell had been loosened. My head became a very pandemonium. Ten thousand evil spirits seemed to be holding carnival within my brain. And I held my mouth lest I should give utterance to the words of blasphemies that were poured out into my ears. Things I could never have heard or thought of before came rushing impetuously into my mind. And I could scarce withstand their influence. It was the devil throwing me down and tearing me up. Brethren, if there is any of you here who have blasphemous thoughts that keep you in bondage, I say they are not yours. And you may say, how do I know, Nick, that they are not my thoughts? Can you say you hate them? Can you say you hate the thoughts that you're having? And if you hate them, I say they are not yours, my friends, but they are the fiery darts of the wicked one. Martin Lloyd-Jones had, had somebody come to his vestry plagued with the same thing and you know what lloyd jones said to do as counsel he said stop praying about it you may think stop praying about it he says the more you pray about it the more you're just reminding yourself of the blasphemous thoughts ignore them recognize the tactic my friends recognize that it's from the enemy ignore them and after a few weeks they completely stopped because the enemy knew that he could not bring him down into misery anymore with those thoughts. If there was any of you two today, and I say from personal testimony, ignore them. Resist the devil, and he shall flee from you. And the final one, brethren, the final one. Accusations of post sorry, past or post conversion sin. This one is also um, connected with vain regrets and I've saved this one to last because this happens to be the most popular tactic of to the devil to those who are Christians this here my brethren and I've been with people and I've been there myself this here brings more Christian people into depression and paralyzes them more than any other what makes this attack so debilitating, you may say? And why can it bring us into such ruin? Because when the devil comes accusing us of these, he's 100% true, isn't he? We can't say, I didn't do them. We are guilty of those sins. And my friends, the enemy will come to you and hurl them back into the forefront of your imagination so you feel their sting and their pain again. And he has a favourite way of doing this. His favourite way is reminding you of your sin and then try and use God's word against you. He tried to do something similar with our Lord. He, the devil quoted scripture, scripture to Christ, trying to use it against him. And he will do the same with you. And somehow or another he may come to you and try and convince you that you have committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The sin unto death. That needs a sermon all on its own. But it happens to be one of the most favourite tactics of the enemy. Read the account of John Bunyan, how he suffered with months, from months of this continuous torrent of being told he committed the sin unto death and every time he tried to get a bit of relief 
he would have this passage of scripture brought to him, he found no place for repentance, even though he sought it with tears. Can you imagine the torment that lasted for years with Bunyan? What's the answer to that one, you may ask? Scripture, the promises of God. Jesus said in John chapter 6, He who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. If you think today that you've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and you run to Christ, he will never cast you away. If he casts you away, his contradiction is word and God forbid he ever contradicts his word. And let me say this, if you're running to Christ, you can't have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. The one who has blasphemed the Spirit of God has no affection to even run to Jesus Christ. So if there's any here who have been held in bondage over that, I say look to your Savior. He accepts all those who go to him. So before I finish, brethren, before I bring, how can we stand against such vehement tactics? My brethren, as I said, I haven't got time to go into every piece of the armor, but what we must do is recognize that God has not left us powerless. He has not left us without aid. This is why it is so important to study the armor, for we are to do battle we must stand firm and remember as i said that god has given us armor so when the devil comes to you and says look what you have done you call yourself a christian what do we do we stand firm in the lord and the power of his might we remember the armor we get the belt of truth and we lay hold of the promises that are in that book we remember we have the breastplate of righteousness, which is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and we are clothed in it. We remember that we have the helmet of salvation, which is the assurance of our salvation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We lift up our shield of faith and we quench the fiery darts of the wicked one by pointing to Christ. We sang it in our first hymn. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, up when I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Faith points away from itself to Christ. And we have our feet ready with the gospel of preparation and the truths that are contained in it. And we get our sword, which is the word of the living God. And we say, yes, I have sinned. I have sinned. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But the devil is shrewd. He may come back to you with scripture. He say, yes, you bring that. But what about 1 John 3, 9? It says, he who is born of God does not commit sin. There, you've sinned. You're not born of God. What do you do? You get your shield back. You look back to Christ and you get your sword again. And you say these words. If I say I have no sin, I deceive myself. And the truth is not, with it, not in us. My little children, I write these things to you that I sin not. But if any man does sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for my sins and the sins of the whole world. And you get the word of God and you slice that serpent's head off with the word of the living and true God. That's how you do battle with the devil. 
And my friends, I know we're reformed and we know we don't like to talk about these things because we don't want to be like the crazies. But brethren, these things are real and you must stand firm in the power of the Lord and of his might because he will come with you and destroy his best to destroy you and make you useless for the kingdom of God. Put on the whole armor of God. Are you clothed with power? Yes, because we stand in the power of Christ. Recognize the attacks. And put your armour on, saints. No longer live in the past, forgetting those things that are behind and pressing on towards the goal. When the doubts come, remind yourself of the promises of God. Recognise who he is when he comes with the torrents of blasphemies. No, they are not yours. Stand firm, knowing that Christ knows they are not yours and he shall not lay one of them against thee. Be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Lastly, before I finish... I want to say this. If you are somebody here who is going through this battle, I want to say be encouraged, brethren, for it is only the Christian who has such of a battle. I say blessed are we when we fall into various trials and diverse temptations. God says we're blessed. He says we're blessed. The non-Christian knows nothing of this battle. So if you know nothing of this, Use the weapons that God, sorry, use the weapons that Satan hurls at you and turn them around and saying, I would not be going through this unless I was a child of God. And use his own tactics to bring you assurance of salvation that you are a child, son and daughter of the living and true God. And Jesus, our God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit says through his word that he who has begun a good work in you, he will finish it and bring it to completion nothing can snatch you from his hand even though this fight may be fiery nothing shall take away your salvation for you are christ your life is hid with christ in god your life is hid with christ in god what a promise and finally if there is any here who you don't know nothing of this battle Friends, I say this, every, I'm not saying they all come at the same time. I'm not saying we have each and every single one of these, but the enemy will use some of these on you. And if you have known nothing of this battle, I'd say be very afraid, actually. If your life has not changed, you have no difficulty in your life since you've become a Christian, I say it may not be very Christian at all. If that was so, then none of these epistles would have needed to be written if our life was going to be just plain sailing. If you have nothing of this and you're just living life as you were, I say repent, believe upon Christ. Yeah, you may be saying, are you calling me to a life of battle? Yes, yes, Jesus said, count the cost. He said, count the cost. But let me tell you this, I don't beckon you if you are not in Christ to a, a bad life. I beckon you to one where there is a celestial city awaiting all those faithful who have fought in this life, who have gone against the tide, who have gone against the wiles of the devil, who has gone against this world and have put their faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, I say there is a celestial city waiting for us. And if you are not yet on that road to the celestial city, the door is still open. It's wide and you may enter in through Christ. If you're not in Christ today, come to him.